0: Hey, Crossing. Glad that you are here today. Next week, we start a brand new series called Killing What's Killing You. We've been working on this series for a long time, and we're gonna be dealing with those emotions that maybe you have let control you for a long time. This would be a great opportunity for you to bring a friend to come with you to experience this. But today, you're in for a treat. Today we have Rusty George with us from Real Life Church in California. Every year, Rusty and I switch places and so today I'm speaking for him in Valencia, California and you get the opportunity to have him here with you. Hey, he's written a brand new book called Justice, Mercy, and Humility. And this book is based on a verse that comes out of Micah chapter six that's one of our theme verses for our missions. And it is a great book. And I would love for you to get it, to read it, and to go the next level. I asked him to bring him and he's brought a bunch of books to sell here today. And I asked him to conclude our series, Creatures of Habit. So today he's gonna be bringing the message, the habit of justice. So when Rusty comes out, would you give him a huge crossing Rockstar welcome. Hello, Crossing. Thank you. Good
1: morning, everybody. It is so great to be here. I want to welcome everybody in the room, those of you watching online, those of you at our campuses. Boy, it is so fun to be back. I love when Shane and I do this because uh, I love being here. It feels like home away from home. Our people love him so much that they'll probably make him an offer while I'm here. Um, but uh, I just really, really do enjoy being here. And I love any kind of partnership with your lead pastor because he is the real deal on and off the stage and one of my best friends. And I really am grateful uh, for my friendship with Shane that goes all the way back to Wichita, Kansas and like junior high is how far we go back. Um, well, I was in junior high. Shane's like 15 years older than me. So <laughs> I'm kidding. He's only three or four. Anyway, um, but it's, it's so fun uh, to be here. Um, I, I think every one of us have had an experience before where you were kind of the victim of, you know, faulty advertising a little bit or, you know what, they didn't fully disclose everything, ever done an Airbnb and things weren't like what you expected or maybe it was, you know, the, the, the fine print and the pharmaceutical ads you failed to read or whatever it was. Uh, my family and I have had our share of those expen- experiences and one happened just a few years ago. Uh, we decided to take our kids up to Mount Rushmore. And we thought this would be a fun family experience. It'll take us a few days to drive up there and back and everything. And so I'm a planner, so I like to plan ahead. And I was booking hotels all the way up there and back. And my kids came to me and they said, Hey, Dad, you know that TV show that we watch sometimes called Tiny Houses on HGTV? I said, Yeah, I've seen that show where these people decide they're going to go live off the land and build a little tiny house, you know, and live in there. And, and, and my kids said, can we stay in a tiny house when we're up in South Dakota? And, I, you know, I'm trying to be Father of the Year at all times, and so... I looked at them, and I saw the sad look in their eyes of, please, Father, please. And I said, you know what? For you kids, yeah, we'll give that a shot. Let's get ahead, and we'll look for a tiny house. And so that's what we did. We got online, and they're coming through, and they found this one, and the pictures were immaculate. The place looked beautiful. It overlooked a sunset, which I assume is all the time. And it was just going to be amazing, right? And so we book this place, and they're excited, and I'm uh, I'm okay with it. And we drive up there, and when we get near where the tiny house is supposed to be, suddenly we're off the grid. We get no Wi-Fi. The map isn't reloading. We're looking around trying to find this place. And then we have to stop and ask somebody. They said, oh, yeah, go down there to Frank's place and hang a left where the school used to be and past the tree that got struck by lightning. You know, it's just all this local jargon. I'm like, I'm not from here. I don't know. And finally, we make our way over to where. The house is, and and we have to basically go off-roading for a period of time, which is great when you're in a minivan, and then we have to stop at the house because the people that own the tiny house don't live in the tiny house. They live in a big house uh, because of renting out the tiny house, right? And so we go to the big house, and this couple comes out, and they said, oh, we're so glad you're staying here. Let us take you over there. And then they call for their dog to come with them, and it's a huge dog named Big Cat. So anyway, Big Cat and this couple walk us over to the tiny house, which tiny is generous. It's more like a dollhouse, okay? It's this little house, you know, and, and we, can, we can't even all get in the thing, and, and we're looking around it, and Big Cat goes right in and rolls around on all the beds, you know, and Think, what is this really it? Oh, yeah, this is a great place. We love this place, and a lot of people have stayed here. They love it. I said, okay, do you have a key? Oh, I do not need a key. There is no lock on the door. Oh, well, fantastic. <laughs> and then the guy says this as he leaves. He says, hey, by the way, uh, it's all run on solar, and it collects the energy during the day and uses it at night, but we've had a few clouds today, so I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> and then his wife says, Hope you like camping. No. We don't like camping. We're not camping people. That's why we rented a tiny house, okay? (laughs) That's where we want to stay. And so they leave, and we're looking around, and we think, okay, we'll make the best of it. You know, as parents, you just kind of go, hey, isn't this great, kids? You know, and they're wondering about the Wi-Fi. There is no Wi-Fi out here. So we decide we're going to unpack, and then we're going to head over to Mount Rushmore for a while, and we come back. We get back at night. We go in. We turn on all the lights. We turn on all the fans. We turn on all the A.C., we're plugging in our phones and charging them because we're not uncivilized people, right? So we're charging up our phones and everything's going really well. And then I hear a sound I will never forget
0: Whoa.
1: power was over. Everything shut down. Found the fans stopped, the air conditioning stopped, the lights went out, phones stopped charging, everybody's in a state of panic. We all get our phones and turn on our flashlights, you know, and and we're looking around, and now there's no air coming into the place. It's stuffy. It's hot. And so I begin to go around and open windows, and I open one window, and like a hundred moths come out, take over the whole. It's like the end of Silence of the Lambs, okay? Just, kids are freaking out. One of my daughters yells, don't let them bite you. You'll go blind. I don't know where she's learning these things, you know? And so we get everybody calmed down, and we try to lay down and get a little bit of sleep, and I'm laying there thinking and praying for a breeze to come through the place, which it won't come, and I'm thinking, this was not on the website, all right? This will go in my review, but nobody else let us know what this was really about. And maybe you've had an experience like that, where things didn't work out the way that you thought they would work out, or maybe they, they ended up being worse than you ever imagined, or maybe there was fine print you overlooked. And here's the reality for all of us. A lot of us feel that way when it comes to church. Maybe you used to go to church as a kid, and when you got older, you ran for the hills because you felt like that time during church was constantly more and more and more fine print. And you know what I'm talking about, the kind of fine print that makes you scared to be a follower of Jesus because you don't know when it will end, right? It kind of looks like a list like this. If the fine print for your spiritual life looked like something, it might look like this. Well, you're supposed to love others. You're supposed to forgive those who hurt you, pray for those who persecute you, have joy, be patient, stay faithful, be gentle with your words, give to the hurting, tithe, live in peace, serve in your church, be kind to everyone on the freeway, go to church every week, read your Bible every day, pray without ceasing, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, and confess your sins every night, for if you don't, you might wake up in hell. Okay? And you think, yeah, 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 that's exactly the way I feel, right? And some of you might be thinking, I don't even want to be a Christian if that's what it's going to be. Because I know there's fine print. I know there's stuff they're not telling us. And maybe for some of you, you've taken that step to become a Christian. You've been baptized. And not long after that, you begin to feel this pressure of all that you have to do. You know, this is not a new experience. In fact, this has been going on for a very long time. In fact, you can go all the way back to when God gave us the Ten Commandments. There's just ten of them, and it didn't take long for them to add a bunch of stuff to it just to keep the ten. In fact, the Pharisees were known for being people that had over 600 laws just to help them keep the original ten. They had all these different rules about how they were supposed to operate, one of which was you can't say the name of God in its entirety, which was Yahweh. That song we sang a little bit ago, Hallelujah, that's because they shortened Yahweh to Yah. Another rule. And the word Yahweh, they couldn't even spell it out without taking a break between each letter and going down and washing themselves and coming back and writing the next letter. They're probably grateful that God's name isn't longer. Or like Rumpelstiltskin or something like that. That would be maddening. But these were the laws that they had in place to get right with God. And it continues on. Even into after Jesus, around 400 A.D., there was this guy by the name of St. Simeon. And he wanted to connect with God, so he felt like he needed to go live in a cave. And then people started figuring out he's in there praying, so they'd go to the front of the cave and yell in their prayer requests, right? And so he got tired of that, so he decided he's going to build a pillar and live on top of the pillar. And he built this thing 50 feet in the air. He lived there for 36 years because he wanted to connect with God. I mean, you can fast forward even to today. There's a guy in Detroit that has a cross that he carries from coast to coast, walking back and forth, carrying this cross around because he wants to connect with Jesus. I even think about my own life. I've got people in my life that I look up to and think I want to be like them because they're like Jesus or they seem to have a connection that I don't. Years ago, I knew about this one guy that he, he would get up every morning at 3 a.m. He would take a shower. He would shave. He'd put on a suit. He would go outside, and he'd sit there with his Bible and for an hour talk to God. I thought, that's amazing. i got to try that. So I got up at 3 a.m., and I showered, and I shaved, and I put on a suit, and I went outside, and I fell asleep in that chair. I mean, unless God was communicating through dreams, you know, I'm not getting anything. I slept the rest of the day. It was messed up my day, you know. And maybe you've thought that, but you think I can't do this. This is so complicated. This is such a mess. And I mean, take a few of the things that we hold so highly when it comes to following Jesus. Bible reading. I mean, how much is enough? You start with a verse a day, and then you move to a chapter a day, and then you're reading the Bible through in a year. Well, why not twice in a year? You're thinking, is it, do I need to do more? What about prayer? You start off with a few minutes of prayer, or maybe it's just praying before meals, and then it's, you know, praying before homework and tests and those kind of things, and then you're praying for everybody you know, and then what do you pray about? And you find yourself going, well, there's still more hours of the day. Should I keep praying? What about giving? You start giving just a few dollars and you start tithing and then you start supporting kids and missions and all different projects. And you think, when does this end? And you get giving fatigue. How much is enough? So before we can kind of figure out what what it is that is, you know, the problem and how to fix it, we got to ask this question. Why do we constantly do this? Why is this continuously a problem for us like it was for the Pharisees and even the people before them and the people after them? Why do we keep getting stuck in this rut of of keeping a list of all the stuff we got to do, the fine print, so to speak? So let me give you a couple of ideas. I think the first one is control. I think we like to have control over things, and we feel like we're in control if we have a list of all the stuff we're supposed to do and we check off the boxes. And here's why we think that. Because we like to believe that if we do all the things God tells us to do, then he's obligated to do everything we tell him to do. I had a conversation with a couple in our church just a couple years ago. Their son had been recently diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, and they were obviously just you know, downcast over this whole thing. We sat down and talked about it, and I can tell you the good news. The son has been cleared of cancer. But in that moment, they're looking at me and saying, Why us? Questions we all ask. And the guy looks at me and he says, was it something I did? Because I thought I did, I have done all the right things. Why did God allow this to happen? You know, Jesus knows that we think this way. And that's why he said this one time, that our heavenly father causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's favor knows no bounds nor does the difficulties of this life. Here's another reason I think we like the list is because it allows us to keep score. You know, sometimes when you're feeling really bad about yourself, it helps to know somebody else is a little bit worse off so you feel better about yourself. That's not good, but it's reality. I mean, aren't there moments you're looking at Instagram and you see somebody who looks like parents of the year and they, the kids seem to love them and, and you know, they seem to always be singing Disney show tunes or something and you're like, these people are amazing. And you feel so bad about yourself until you realize that this, you know, uh, hiking trip they went on, oh, it was a Sunday morning. I was in church. Now I know I'm better than them. You know, isn't it that kind of moment right there where this scorekeeping goes on, where you look at other people and you're trying to figure out, am I better than you? And this is something that all of us wrestle with, which is why we like these lists and why we feel captivated by them. Can I just give you some really good news right now? And that is that following Jesus, it's not always easy, but it's not complicated. In fact, when you look at the way that Jesus lived his life, you look at the things that Jesus said, he's always making things more simple for us. In fact, one day a guy comes up to him and says, hey, all these laws, all these rules, what's the most important ones? And he goes, I can sum it up in two things. Love God, love people. That sounds pretty good. And then not long after this, probably about a year and a half, Jesus sits down with his disciples and says, you know what? I'm just going to give you one rule. And that is... Love each other the way that I have loved you. Now we hear that and we think, how did he do that? The way that Jesus lived his life was based upon the prophetic words written 730 years before he walked this planet. Words that would have been spoken in every Jewish synagogue and the temple back then. Words that become the marching orders for every single one of us. Here's what Jesus did. Here's how we follow. Micah says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Can we just say that last sentence together out loud? Even those of you, on, you know, watching online, let's just all say these out loud. To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Can I just say this? You are the first service to say that loudly. You guys are now my favorite service. Okay, way to go, everybody. Okay, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Following Jesus is not always easy, but it is not complicated. This is the way that Jesus lived his life. And this is the way we are to live our lives if we are to say we follow him. In fact, Let's be really honest. You may not even be sure what you believe about Jesus, but this is the way you want to be. You want to be a person that is just and merciful and humble. You want your kids to be that way. Why not just follow after the one who perfected it? So several years ago, I got really kind of obsessed with this verse and what does this mean and how does this look today? And I spent a lot of research on it and wrote this book that Shane was kind enough to let me bring if, if you want to read more. But I know we don't have a lot of time to go into all of it. So I'm just going to sum each one up for you because it really is simple. The first thing is you act justly. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we tend to think I'm not an attorney. I can't even go over to the other side of the world and rescue kids from human trafficking. What do I do today to act justly? Well, The scripture gets really practical for us. Take a look at what James says, the brother of Jesus. He says, you know what pure and genuine religion is in the sight of God the Father? It means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. He says, I want to simplify it for you. Take care of those who need help. In other words, justice is giving people what they deserve. And sometimes... That's the law, but a lot of times it's just help. And Jesus even sums this up with the story he tells about people approaching the throne of God after, after, after eternity you know, kind of ceases on this earth and heaven's doors are open wide. And, and the Father begins to communicate to them as to why they're allowed to come in. Take a look at what Jesus says here. He says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to, the one, uh, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. In other words, when you and I stop to help somebody and give them what they deserve, maybe it's a cup of coffee, maybe it's a little bit of money, maybe it's some time, but all the time it's dignity. You are acting justly. That's what this church is so passionate about. That's the mission behind the REACH events where you go overseas to help other people. But that can even be next door. That can be standing up for somebody who nobody stands up for. That can be that person in the office that everybody runs over and now you decide to stand by. That could be somebody on the street corner. Or that could be somebody in your everyday life. My... My wife is so good at this. I tend to just miss things, and she always notices these moments where people might need a little bit of help. I think about not long ago, we decided to uh, uh, to go out to eat, and we went to Sonic Drive In. Must have been our anniversary or something. It was a very fancy night, <laughs> spare no expense, right? And we love Sonic, and so we pulled up at Sonic, and you know how that works. You, you order, you know, from your car, and, and people bring you your food, and I'm, I'm sitting there waiting, and, and my wife is waiting patiently, and I'm not so patient. It's taken like 20 minutes for the food to arrive, and I'm hungry and moving into hangry stage, you know. And I see in the side view mirror uh, the server coming this way, and she's carrying a tray of all of our food. I can, I can see it. I can smell it. And she stumbles and drops the whole thing. And my first thought is, oh, no. Now we got to wait another 20 minutes until we get our food, right? Not my wife. She says, you should go help her pick that up. I don't know why it's always you should go as opposed to I'm going to go. You know, but that's between us and our therapist. We'll work that out. But... And this is what I say. This just this comes right out of me. I said, oh, honey, no, we wouldn't want to do that because then her boss might see that and she might get fired for not doing her job. And she's looking at me like you're looking at me right now. Of, that's ridiculous. And so I figured this out. And so I get out and I go out and I help her out. She's, oh, that's so kind of you. And I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife didn't, didn't want to get out of the car, but I did. <laughs> you know, it's in this moment of, of helping somebody out. I mean, this isn't a huge thing. But it's just giving somebody some dignity and a little bit of help. And you know situations like that every day. And, friends, that's part of following Jesus because that's what Jesus did for people constantly, the people that were the least and the last and the lost that he was standing up for and giving them what they deserve. That's act justly. But then he says, love mercy. Well, what does this look like? Well, oftentimes it's giving people what they don't deserve. It's letting them off the hook a little bit. You ever have situations where you just let some things slide? I, I thought of one that was amusing to me a, a few weeks ago. My, my youngest daughter, she's 14, and she's kind of uh, a self-professed fashionista. And she and her friends like to go pick out clothes for each other and, you know, think that they're, you know, high fashion and everything. And I took them to someplace, and they, they came out with some bags of shirts and and. Uh, my, my daughter, Sydney, held up her shirt, and I, I thought it was so fascinating. I, I later took a picture of it, and, and here it is, Cassius Clay, and, and you all know this to be, you know, Muhammad Ali, and greatest boxer of all time, and so on and so forth. But I thought, I don't know if Sydney knows who this is, and why she's buying a shirt. You know, she's not a boxing fan or anything. And so, I look at her and I say, Sid, uh, what's, what's the shirt? And she said, Oh, it's, it's some uh, new designer, I think. I said, oh, okay. What, what's, what's the name there? And she said, "Casius Lay." <laughs> okay. You know what mercy is? Mercy is saying nothing and just letting it go, you know? And then telling thousands of people in Vegas, you know, that's... <laughs> That's mercy, all right? But really, in its fullest form, mercy is just letting things go. And you know things in your life that you're keeping record of that somebody has done to you, and you won't let them off the hook, and you're waiting for them to apologize, and if they ever said anything, you would bring out that list, and you did this and this and this and this and this, and you would let it go. And it, but in that moment, you're holding on to something they've probably forgotten about. And really, the one person that's being harmed in all this is you. In fact, look how the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, get rid of all bitterness. We could just stop right there and work on that for the next 10 years. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the key line, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Think about some of these things that we're holding on to, wanting people to pay us back for. Some of them can't even be repaid. How do you repay a childhood? How do you repay a first marriage? How do you repay a job opportunity that never came? And we're holding on to it. And maybe the most merciful thing you can do is let it go when you give someone what they don't deserve because Jesus did the same thing for you and for me. So if justice is to give somebody what they deserve and mercy is to give someone what they don't deserve, this last one is the spirit in which both are done, walking humbly with your God, to be a person of humility. Now, I know some of you might listen to that and think, oh, I'm a humble person because I I don't really, you know, uh, ever promote myself. I'm always talking about, you know, what a loser I am and I'm such a misfit and on and on. You know, you know what? You're still thinking about yourself all the time. (laughs) In fact, C.S. Lewis said that uh, humility is not uh, thinking uh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. And this is the way the scriptures talk about it. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We tend to do the opposite. We humble others before ourselves and we lift ourselves up. And he says, you just humble yourself before God and then he'll deal with lifting you up. Several years ago, Shane and I got to go on a fly fishing trip. And we were out on the boat together. Neither one of us had fly fished. And we, there's a guide. And the guide is rowing us to certain spots along the river. And he says, throw your line out here. We could have sold tickets for this, okay? The two city boys from Kansas who don't know how to fish, right? And we're throwing it out there, you know, and reeling it in, catching nothing. And he'll guide us over to another spot. Okay, we'll try it here. We'll throw it in, catching nothing. Takes us over to another spot, throw it in, and in that moment, I caught a fish and it was huge about this big and we you know got we got a picture and in that moment I was filled with such confidence you know let me tell you what I didn't do I didn't look at the guide and say thank you very much but we don't need you anymore I can take it from here you get out at the shore and I'll take us you know continued on in fact I'll be able to teach Shane now how to catch a fish because I've done this right You see, confidence is knowing I could catch one, but humility is knowing whose boat I was in. And our Heavenly Father calls us to act justly and love mercy, but remember whose world we're in, and it's His. And this is exactly the way that Jesus lived His life allowing himself to be born as a baby and grow up and listen to his parents and listen to teachers and to follow his father's words and to act justly and love mercy. If there was anybody who modeled humility, it was Jesus as he was nailed to a cross for you and I. And then he says, follow me. How do we do that? We act justly. We love mercy. And we walk humbly. I got a feeling there's several groups of people listening right now. There's one group, and and you're just exhausted. You're exhausted with all the lists you keep coming up with of what you need to do in order to impress God. Can I tell you something? He's already impressed with you. He loves you so much, he allowed his son to die for you on a cross so he could spend eternity with you. What if you just relax? Relax. And recognize that following Jesus may not always be easy, but it is not complicated. For some of you, you're on the outside looking in because you think I don't want to be a part of it because I know they're going to heap all these rules on me, and and I just I can't keep up. Can I just tell you, it's not always easy, but it is not complicated. And for those of you that it's been some, you've just been burned so many times, maybe by church experiences or people that meant well but did wrong, and. You're kind of reaching for the door when it comes to your faith. Can I just tell you that this whole following Jesus thing works a whole lot better when we just look at Jesus instead of everybody else? And he just says, Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with my Father. Whatever camp you find yourself in right now, can I encourage you today to decide to take a step towards one of these three things? I think you'll be amazed and what God will do in your life. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for these amazing people of the crossing. I thank you for their incredible church, for their uh, pastoral team, for their entire staff, all that they do in this community and around the world. And I pray your just deepest blessing upon them. And God, I pray for those that just feel exhausted that you will give them peace, for those that are curious but concerned that you'll give them uh, just the peace that they need to take a step forward. And God, as we take a few moments to think about how you've demonstrated your love through, through Jesus dying on the cross, by us taking communion, God, would you just speak to our hearts as to what, what are these one, three, one of these three areas we've got to really focus in on this week? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.